Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess and the gray and the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, doesn't tie up with a nice bow, because I think if we're honest, that's where most of us live, but also kind of in this common space, right? How do we how do we elevate just sort of the everyday stuff that we live in? And we'd love to interact with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, also at 1160hope.com, plus all the shows are podcasted. And uh, today is Monday, a day notoriously tough for pastors. Yep. Brian and I are both pastors, and uh, I don't know that I've always felt this way, but Mondays sometimes can feel energizing to me, but other, other times it can feel like, did anyone get the license plate of that bus that hit me? <laughs> <laughs> Segment three today, we're napping. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nine, minute, nine minutes yes. of us snoring. One of the things that we've done a couple of times is just sort of rehash a little bit. What, what did you preach on over yep. the weekend? And uh, I hope that's interesting because it is interesting for me to like think – in the rear view, not only about what I taught, but like how you felt it went, right? right. Maybe that's a thing that people don't realize pastors uh, wrestle with. So did, did you preach yesterday? So I did not preach yesterday. Nice. So I'm actually not very tired today. But uh, <laughs> right on. our other pastor, Dave Schubert at our church, uh, him and I are doing a two-week series, just a really short one on Philemon, which is just kind right of a little-known book in the Bible. It's really short, 25 verses long, right? Not 25 chapters, 25 right, verses. Right. And so this past week, it's an awesome story. If you go read it, this past week, Dave kind of did the background and then talked about Philemon, and he talked about forgiveness and what Paul was asking of Philemon. And I get the pleasure next week of talking about Onesimus, the runaway slave. And right so on. excited about it. Dave did a great job. Forgiveness, I find to be a hard topic. Yeah. Because everyone's always like, yeah, but what about yes, or what right. about my personal story? And I dealt with some of those yesterday. People are like, can I talk to you about this? And Totally. Uh, so it is kind of a difficult but an important one. That's a really good point. It really is often the, yeah, but what about? Like, exactly. I agree with the concept, but we all have that one person, that one story exactly. that's like kind of driving a nail in our head a little bit. We we started a series yesterday called In God We Trust. Oh, wow. Uh, which maybe you could guess is about wealth and finances and our money, yep. which uh, in some ways can cause people to really tense up. Yep. You know, it's sort of like the, of all the days to invite my friend. But I <laughs> I thought I felt like the uh, the conversation was, was really well received. We talked pretty honestly, too, that like, you know, 16 of Jesus's 38 parables deal with money yep. and wealth and possessions. There's more in the New Testament that deals with money than heaven and hell combined. Mm-hmm. Like throughout this, throughout the entire Bible, there's like four or five times as many verses about money as there is about prayer. So yep. like clearly it's a, it's an issue that, you know, God takes seriously. And so, I mean, I was, I was really, I was really proud of our community. I felt like they, they responded really well. And I'm excited for these next two weeks to talk just really bluntly and honestly about our stuff. Yeah. Like what, what do we do with our stuff? What was the main point of yesterday? Main point of yesterday was talking about a shift in attitude, right? Okay. So like a lot of times we jump right to behavior 
And if you're modifying behavior without a shift in attitude, a shift in our heart posture, yeah. then behavior modification doesn't really ever stick. We talked a little bit too about, you know, way back in Genesis, began not with the eating of a fruit, but with an attitude, with a with the belief mm. that God couldn't be trusted, that he wasn't actually who he says he was or what he said wasn't actually true. And recognizing that a shift in attitude often is the it is the beginning part to loosen our grip on our stuff. And yeah. we wanted to really kind of help people grapple with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it'll so. be interesting to see what the result of that is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, hard... I'm really hopeful, man. I, th- I think uh, I think across all 10 locations, I think it went really well. Well, you know, we, we mentioned this a lot, and uh, because we're both pastors in Chicagoland, and I think we would care about these stories even if we weren't, mm-hmm. but, like, it hits particularly close to home for us uh, in our positions, in our geography. And uh, the Christian Post uh, shared an article yesterday it says, counseling recommended for Bill Hybels changes for Willow Creek after sexual misconduct investigation, Yeah, which is a loaded headline yes, for sure. Is. Why don't you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, so the, Willow Creek, after everything that happened with Bill Hybels back in April and back about a year ago, right? Uh, and it's with all the harvest stuff that's been going on in the Southern Baptist Convention and stuff, you kind of forget about the Willow stuff, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but really, about this time last year, Willow was in the headlines. It was just going crazy, and it had much to do— uh, with sexual misconduct allegations against Bill Hybels, who famously started Willow, grew Willow, grew the, Willow, grew the Global Leadership Network, the Willow Creek Association. And so uh, Willow uh, had an outside group do a report, and mm-hmm. that's what came out over the weekend. It Got basically it. says this, an independent group convened to ad- investigate sexual misconduct allegations against Bill Hybels, called them, quote, credible and recommended counseling for him as well as a raft of changes to improve the organizational culture at the church mm. and Willow Creek Association rebranded as the Global Leadership Network. And what's fascinating mm. is they basically came out uh, and they said, uh, we believe the people who brought the charges against wow. them, wow. which if you remember when it all first happened, the the kind of the mantra was, we don't believe them. Yeah, these are right. lies. Hybels kept saying, these are lies. These mm. are lies. Wow. And so it is interesting and fascinating that they've come out and said uh, this is really what happened. And, and I guess for me, when I read this report, and, it, and it's saying we want to see a better and improved organizational culture at the church and in the association, uh, improvements in accountability, yes, improvements yes. in uh, pl- the ways that people can report um, – you know, hierarchy, misconduct, all right. this stuff. I want to be like, please do this. Yeah, no kidding. Please do it. That's our hope. And, I, man, I'm so glad you went there, too, because uh, hopefully it's clear, but it it pains us to do these stories. It does. Like, I, I take zero joy in any of it. I, I have a number of friends who consider Willow home, who have experienced incredible life change there, have been pastored and shepherded and informed there. And, and our hope and prayer is not only that, that you know that Hybels would uh, receive the kind of care and help that he needs, but that as a community, that I mean, they have a massive footprint, a massive yes. impact. That there would be like real, true, like spirit level healing, and and I don't know, man. Sometimes it seems like throughout history, it's out of the ashes that like true revival comes. Yes, maybe that's what we're seeing in Chicagoland. I don't mean to be all prophetic, mm-hmm. but that's just sort of a guess I'm having in real time, even as we're talking. Like, what if that's what's happening? Like, yeah. as we see some of these things kind of crumble to the ground. What if that's like the soil that God's tilling to do something really remarkable? Great. Not just at a global scale, but like right here in Chicagoland. Like we we might really get a chance to see that in our lifetime. And I think that that is my hope, not just for Willow, but for the church in general, that all the things that you just listed, accountability, yeah. better checks and balances, but also greater dependence on the, the power of God. That seems so elementary, mm-hmm. so like 101, but I'm I'm convicted that even myself, like, 
hey, Ian, stop stop giving sermons in your own power. Yes. Stop stop leading teams in your own power. Like, I don't know, that apply good principles, be wise with your time and energy and resources. But man, to to see um as our charismatic brothers and sisters would say, a, f- a fresh wind of the spirit, yeah, man. That that's yeah. something that that makes my heart really excited. And when you have these flagship um, churches like Willow and Harvest for this area, uh, both kind of going through the same stuff, different sins, but kind of same <laughs> autopsies, if yeah, you will, going right, on. Right. Not that they're dead. In fact, we pray that they'll be flourishing. Absolutely. But, uh, you do just hope that Willow. They, they they went to this length to get this report. You hope that it doesn't become about. Uh, kind of image management going forward, but they go, you know what? We're going to implement these as difficult as they might be. And then Harvest comes along and says, you know what? We're going to do the same thing. And then I think all the rest of these churches in the Chicago land will be like, look, at, like God yes. is doing something here. Totally. If this becomes about image management and kind of, you know, shifting the chairs around, then it's it's not going to go totally. well. But totally. our prayer is that they they take the next step of taking that. Bill Hybels takes the next step of yep. some intense counseling um, rather than, again, trying to make everything right and maybe jump back into the church world. But James McDonald, too, you just hope you you, you want to believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel yep. with both yep. of these and that the name of God, the name of Jesus is glorified in the end. That's good, man. That's a good call to to be praying for our leaders, for our church communities. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're speaking of belonging, not ownership. Right. Yep. yep. And uh, for the big C church, both locally and abroad, man, that, that is that is, I think, both of our heart and prayer that we Absolutely. would see God move. In really powerful ways. Well, coming up next, we have a brilliant, fascinating interview with Simone Halpin. She's the executive director of Naomi's House. It's a comprehensive residential program offering hope and healing to women who have suffered from commercial sexual exploitation. Mm. I'm really, really excited about that interview. That's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about Diving into the mess and the gray and the tense, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, because I think if we're honest, that's where most of us live most of the time. Life doesn't tie up with an easy bow, nor is stuff typically black and white. You know, the people uh, tend to find themselves in circles, in chasms of echo chambers and confirmation biases, often just sort of shouting at each other, it seems. And so we want to create a space for dialogue, to lean in, to ask questions, and to sometimes... Uh, not have easy answers at all. And we'd love to interact with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And in the studio, we have a very special guest, Simone Halpin. Simone, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Let me let you all know just a little bit about Simone. She's the executive director of Naomi's House, a comprehensive residential program offering hope and healing to women who have suffered from commercial sexual exploitation. And it's been a month for that, it seems, in the headlines, but I know that in more ways than I'm even aware, this has been an issue of catastrophic proportions for far longer than I realized. Would you just let our listeners know a little bit, first and foremost, what you do and what Naomi's House is all about? Absolutely. Sure. Well, you said it perfectly. Naomi's House is a home where women come and live with us for up to a year. Mm-hmm. They have um, come out of... Um, some sort of sexual exploitation. So they have been victims of sexual trafficking. Um, Naomi's house was birthed out of the desire to meet a need in the Chicagoland area. And we know that there are about 20, approximately 24,000 women and girls who are sexually exploited in the Chicagoland area every year. And so that's not just the city of Chicago. That's beyond that's Cook County, DuPage County, Lake County and beyond. And so uh, when we started this vision of Naomi's house to offer women a place to come live 
um, with us for a year and give them all the tools and resources they needed to start a new life. There were wow. very few residential programs um, in the state even. And mm. so we um, brought together a, a group of minds to put together this program where women can come and stay and live with us for a year and essentially start a whole new life. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. Mm. Uh, so this, as Ian said, it's kind of been in the headlines, this idea of, of sexual exploitation and, and sex trafficking over the last month, if you will, specifically with the Robert Kraft deal down in Florida. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you could just I feel really naive on this subject. And so if you could give us some background. So we see the Robert Kraft thing we're like that's weird. Um, help us understand more. What is the issue that is, like Ian said, such a huge issue right now, just here nationwide all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much I could say about this. So <laughs> you'll just have to let me know where you want me to focus Absolutely. in on. But uh, well, where I, my lane, where I live and the women that I work with and um, the lives that I see are impacted by human trafficking are the victims. Mm -hmm. So Robert Kraft himself is getting a lot of attention. Exactly. I think it's just how does a man with billions of dollars right. find himself right. um in the situation like this where he's soliciting sex from a strip mall, it doesn't seem to make sense. Right. Um, I have a, a whole nother opinion on that. So okay. you can ask me what you, if you'd like, yeah. but um, I, I love when um, the community at large comes around this issue and says, how is this happening? That's a yeah. good question to be asking. And so then that's always my opportunity to say, I just want to make it known that I guarantee you the women who were in this spa or women who are in a different spa or women who um, are you're finding are selling ads of themselves online. Mm. They are not doing it because they're looking to make quick money. They mm. are doing it because they are either being forced. They are there's some sort of fraud or coercion involvement. It's essentially the definition of human trafficking. Wow, wow. Okay, so you alluded to having more thoughts about craft specifically, <laughs> and uh, if you're comfortable, I, I'd love I'd love to hear a little bit of what's what your perspective is yeah, on, on that yeah. whole scenario. Yeah, I have no problem making people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so, Robert Kraft, I think, represents. Um, an issue that is hard to talk about and that he most likely, and I obviously don't know the man and I'm making assumptions here, but he most likely has a sex addiction. I don't think that this was his first time. And I don't think he was driving past the strip mall and said, Hey, let's go to this parlor, right. this massage parlor. I'm interested in a good massage. Um, I think that he probably has some sort of sex addiction that drove him to the point um, where he needed that, he needed to fulfill that need at that time. Mm. Um, and so when I think of this case in this particular situation, I think um, people want to know all the time how we can end human trafficking. Well, it's a very comprehensive mm. um, approach that needs to be taken to ending human trafficking. And one of the pieces of this puzzle, this very complicated issue and this complicated puzzle is to address the issue of sexual addiction. It's mm. it's no different. They're, the way your brain lights up um, when you have a sex addiction is no different than it lights up when you have a substance abuse addiction. And so it needs wow. to be addressed. It needs to, um, we need to help people who uh, struggle with this because mm. it comes to a point where it starts secret. Sec a lot of times you'll see the journey of it secretively in their room behind a screen to the point to where you are soliciting sex from a human being. And I would say in almost every case, every woman that I have met, um, I have encountered, she is not making that choice for herself. So you are to the point where you're soliciting sex from a person mm. who's being held captive beyond her wishes. Wow. So uh, we all live out in the suburbs. And one of the reasons people like to live in the suburbs is to pretend nothing bad happens in the suburbs, right? Like it's always a city problem. It's always this or that. 
We know that's not true, but can you can you tell us about that? Like, this isn't just a city problem, right? This is in the suburbs, rural areas, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so women that we have served at Naomi's house um, represent women from all over. Every community wow. has an issue with human trafficking, with wow. sexual trafficking specifically. Every community. Every single community. This is not, um, this is an issue, this is a, this is a, a scheme that can happen digitally. You don't have to have women walking streets for them to be um, forced into prostitution. Right. Uh, a man can solicit an appointment with a woman through his phone. You can mm. issue payment through the phone. You can take pictures through your phone. A hundred percent of trafficking rings can be done digitally. And wow. So the women that we work with represent that. They have come from all over the country, from all over different communities, small towns, big cities, you name it, and everything in between. So um, it's not just a city mm-hmm. issue. It is definitely every community. And you, so you mentioned that with the rise of technology and accessibility, right, that um, in a lot of ways seems to, to make it easier to keep these things in the shadows, to keep them hidden. And I'm curious, you know, because Brian and I are both pastors, and one of the things that we try to do with this show is to pull back the veil on things that either we don't want to talk about or we don't even know to talk about. And you mentioned earlier the number of 24th. Like I'm, uh, I'll be honest. Like that's, it's like breaking my heart. Even just thinking about that number every single year, Mm -hmm. you'd think that a number that large, like this would be, we'd be hitting this hard in every pulpit and every church community. Like what, what is it about this particular problem that, that remains in the shadows that makes it difficult for us to talk about and engage with. Yeah, that's Mm. a really great question. And I don't know that I have a straight black and white answer to that, but let me ask you a question back. (laughs) What do you think about when you see a young girl or a woman who is maybe dressed inappropriately or Mm. she is, um, giving off a vibe that she's promiscuous and Mm. I'm not asking you specifically, what do you think of that? I'm just saying in in general, as our culture, when we see young girls or women who have, um, who who are making up this persona as if they are promiscuous or, um, they are interested in showing off their bodies or whatnot. Um, our culture goes to an assumption that, um, she is all those things. Um, and most of the time, uh, are likely that if you're seeing signs like that, there is something underneath the surface. And so we have to do a better job as a church and as a culture to say, what is it? Why is a 16 year old Mm. finding herself, Mm. um, dressing a certain way or acting a certain way? Or, um, why is she drawn toward older men Mm. or, Mm. um, why is someone who doesn't have the resources finding you're finding her with high end handbags and coats and, and shoes and all of that. Those are, those are the types of questions and the things that we need to be noting. And instead of putting people in a box and lumping them into the stereotype, we need to pull back a little bit and ask questions. That's such a good challenge. We've been talking with Simone Halpin, uh, the executive director of Naomi's house. You can learn more at Naomi's house.org. That's Naomi's house.org. And as you've mentioned, this is a deeply complicated issue. So we're going to continue to talk to Simone because I think there's a lot more uh, in particular that Brian and I just have to learn personally and uh, hopefully our listeners as well. So that's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess and the gray in a life where uh, often I think we just get caught yelling from our positions. We want to create space to actually dive in have a conversation, even at times to disagree or to say, you know what? I think I have more questions than I do answers now. Yeah. And uh, that's okay. Cause I think that's, 
That's reality. We'd love to interact with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com. And we've been talking uh, with Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. You can learn more about Naomi's House at naomishouse.org. And uh, Simone, I'm so grateful for your voice, for your perspective, for the work that you're doing. And we've talked a lot about like big picture stuff, some really, really daunting statistics. Um, but I'd love, to, I'd love to hear some stories. Can you share a story or two of just the life change that you've experienced, that you've seen yourself in the work that you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I'm glad you asked because um, it is a dark subject. So it's good to hear the hope t- yes. that's mm-hmm. involved in, totally. in what we do. So I think of a woman who moved into Naomi's house um, a, a few years ago. Um, she's actually from this area. Her trafficking took place in this area. Mm. Um, and it took her a couple it took her a couple tries to find the courage to kind of leave behind what she knew to be her life and move into our program. Cause when when women move into our program, they're fully surrendering themselves to our resources, what we can offer them. Um, we always say she does all the work. We just provide her the tools. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a volunteer program. She chose to come in, even though she, the first couple attempts, she kind of chickened out and didn't come. Mm-hmm. In between those two, uh, one of her two attempts, she hooked back up with her trafficker and experienced such a violent beating from that relationship that she ended up in the hospital mm. and eventually kind of hit bottom. So they say, and made the decision, the brave decision to move in. So when she came to us, she had no valid ID traffickers typically keep women's IDs so that oh, they are gosh. vulnerable to his control. Um, she had issues with substances. Traffickers keep women addicted to drugs again, so oh. that they have control over her. Um, she had a, she had severed relationships with her family. Um, traffickers threaten women that if if you reach out to your family, if you try to talk to your family, um, I will not only hurt you, I will hurt them as well. Yes, so right. she, no relationship with her family. She hadn't. She had dropped out of school. Hadn't seen a doctor in who knows how long. So wow. all of these things, she's yeah. she's just um, incredibly vulnerable to. Mm. Um, his control. And so when she moved in, she was suffering from all of these emotions. She had PTSD, has PTSD. Mm. Um, but she had gotten to a point where she had reached the end of herself and she wanted the tools to rebuild a life. And so mm. that's honestly what happens when women come out of this life is that they need an entire new life. It's been shattered. The trauma they've experienced keeps them stuck in the past and right. they no longer have the tools to live in the future. Wow. So she went through our program. I'm summarizing 12 months of hard work. <laughs> yeah. um, she saw a doctor. She got a mm. job. She got her license. She got a car. Um, she went back to school. She's thriving. That's amazing. She lives in our community now. Wow. I love to tell people that our community is so much better when people's lives are being restored yeah. yes. and they're living out the um, purpose that God has for them. And now she is a voice to our other women in the program. She's become a volunteer. She's giving back. Wow. Um, she's thriving. And her mom has become a support of Naomi's house. She actually gives monthly to no, Naomi's house. Oh, yeah. Isn't that cool? cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Because she, that relationship has been restored. And anyway, oh. this woman is fantastic. She's just this beautiful picture of a, someone's life that's gone from kind of dust to new life. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. a good story. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, so I have a freshman daughter, freshman in high mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. I also have a daughter who's in the fourth grade. I have a son in between. Um, curious. I, I want to ask this as a parent. Mm-hmm. How do I protect my children yeah. 
And how do I even talk about this issue with my kids? What would yeah. give me some parenting advice? Yeah, here. well, you know, I've got four kids of my own, so I <laughs> I would like to say I'm an expert parent, but I'm far from it. Um, but I will tell you that what happens to women and girls and boys too that are lured into sex trafficking is that they have some unmet needs and they're mm. vulnerable to mm. someone who's going to say, "I can make your life better. I can uh-huh. provide for you." So just the fact that you're asking the question, mm. I think, means you're protecting your children, that you're loving them, and I. As I said earlier, it takes like it'll take a comprehensive approach to in sex trafficking or in human trafficking in our country. And one mm. of the things, another piece of that pie is to build into our young kids to, yeah. to provide them um, the dignity that they're yeah. they're created in God's image and they loved and they have talents and he has a he has a plan for them. So that's I know that's not probably exactly what you're looking for, sure. <laughs> but in, in ways of protection, I think other parents need to know that 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 you need to love on your kids and build Mm. into them so that they're not finding that from somebody else. And then there's very practical things as well, like have filters on your devices and Mm. your computer, be be mindful, be nosy, pay attention to what your kids are looking at online, who they're hanging out with, um, what's feeding them. Um, Because uh, again, back to sex addiction. And I think the average age of a a child being introduced to pornography is fourth grade. Mm. And so you need to be in their business and helping them navigate through our, we have a very sexualized culture. Yeah, you may not right. know that as pastors. That's right. So that's another way to protect your children is mm. to help them navigate um, what they're seeing and hearing all day long. That's really good. Okay. So, so Brian asked from the perspective of a, of a father, I'm curious from the perspective of a pastor, like we, we say pretty often, I don't think there's any way to read Jesus and not leave with the, the sense that, He's about standing with the marginalized, mm-hmm. the oppressed, Amen. and the exploited. Yeah. And what you're talking about fits all three of those categories. Yeah, that's right. Clearly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about this massive number, this catastrophic issue, and yet often in a lot of circles, very little conversation about it. How can churches, how can church mm-hmm. people, pastors, mm-hmm. leaders, mm-hmm. Um, how, how can we take up the cause? How can we at the very least mm-hmm. start having intelligent dialogue and conversation about this issue and then hopefully – actually put our money where our mouth is and move some action, yeah. making a difference in our communities. Yeah. Ooh, good question. <laughs> but I like that last yeah. part. Uh, well, first of all, um, the church needs to be unafraid yeah. of, of the marginalized and the victims, mm. the victimized. Wow. Um, women who have been victims of sex trafficking are messy. And they'll be the first to tell you mm-hmm. um, they have experienced intense trauma that hopefully none of us will ever experience. Right. So we need to be unafraid of the messy. Um, there's wow. a church that our women go to and they have modeled this so beautifully. They let our messiness come and sit on their front row. That's awesome. Yeah. These girls are worshiping Jesus in one breath and the very next breath, they're like elbowing each other and swearing at each other. So, <laughs> right. um, so you need to be unafraid of the messy, but because they have been craving and looking for authentic love for so mm. long, when they meet Jesus, mm. their lives are changed. Yeah. So we see a lot of spiritual um, transformation in our program because the authentic love of Jesus is what they have been longing for. And they yes. run to him and they embrace mm. him. And having a church come alongside of them and discipling them after that is mm. exactly what we need. Wow. That's so good. So uh, specifically at Naomi's house, I'm curious uh, we're really going to tee this up for you here. Oh. If people go to the website, what do you need most? Do you need money? Do you need, like you said, churches to come along and donate things or people to give time yeah. to the house? Or maybe they're not allowed to do that. Right. Or um, all the above. All mm-hmm. of the above. Right. What do you, we're teeing it up for you now. What do you most need from churches and just people out there who are like, man, I really want to be a help here? Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, $50 a month to Naomi's house goes a long way. It, it covers our, 
uh, trauma-informed licensed professional therapy, which is a huge part of, of seeing people, uh, our women, go through rehabilitation. So that um, would be number easy way to be a part of the fight is to just donate. Um, like I said, $50 a month would go a long way. Um, we do need volunteers. So mm-hmm. if there's someone listening who says, I have a heart for this, I've got some background in um, social work or counseling or whatever it is, you can apply to be a volunteer on our website. Mm-hmm. And then churches in general, we utilize all the time. I could give you so many examples of people who come and do yard work for us. We oh, live in awesome. this huge piece of property where we constantly need yard work. We had a church come this past weekend and paint a bedroom and then remodel it. It was gorgeous. Wow. Um, so these very specific needs when a church says, just call us when you have these. That's what we do. Um, so yes to all of it. Churches, awesome. volunteers, donating financially, all the above. That's Great. amazing. Okay. So lastly, how, how can we be praying for you? Not just Brian and I. How, how can anyone listening be joining you guys in prayer and the work that you're doing that I think is so clearly the kinds of things yeah. as Christ followers we need to be doing. Yeah. Yep. Well, big picture is just to pray for our expansion. We just got okay. a, a permit from DuPage County that allowed us to go from five women to eight women. So oh, we're cool. serving more and more women. So pray awesome. for that, that we have a full house and we'd have the finances to cover all of our needs. But then super specifically, we have a very new woman moving into Naomi's house today. Oh, wow. So wow. you can pray for her. She's the youngest woman we've ever served. Wow. And so pray for her healing journey. And she's about to get overwhelmed with love mm, yes. and resources and so pray for her um, as she comes to your mind. And that is so good. Simone, thank you so much thank for taking you. the time to share with us. We've been talking with Simone, the uh, executive director of Naomi's House, and you can visit naomishouse.org. That's naomishouse.org to learn more, to donate, to volunteer, to pray. All the <laughs> there above. You go. I, I, if, if you're not hearing me, I can't emphasize enough. Uh, make this a priority. Visit the website. At the very least, lift them up in prayer. The work that you guys are doing is absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, for you joining so much. Today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving in, not leaning back from the things that are confusing or messy or complicated. And sometimes we find that things are actually more complicated than we even realize, which is yes. sort of the point. Right to to create space for dialogue for conversation. I think it's easy to kind of stand on our ledges and throw rocks, and so we want to create a space for dialogue, for disagreement, for pushback. And so you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also find us at eleven sixty hope dot com. Plus, the show is podcasted. All the previous shows are there. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to interact with you. Uh, what you loved, what you hated, everything in between, because uh, that's kind of the point of the show to hopefully engage in the common. What, what do we actually have in common? Yep. And I came across this story that the headline kind of says it all, but I, I just, it caught my eye so quickly. And I think you'll understand why it's from a business insider. It says valedictorians rarely become rich and famous. And here's why the average millionaire's college GPA is 2.9. Yeah. The average millionaire's college GPA is 2.9. And I got to be honest, I'm feeling pretty good about myself right now. <laughs> I didn't know if you felt this cut your eye because you were a valedictorian or no. because your college GPA was closer to 2.9. The very fact that you thought I might have been is really encouraging. At least of your homeschool. Not even there. <laughs> nope. I was not a good student, man. <laughs> they brought in another homeschooler just so that he could be valedictorian. <laughs> but I think this is fat. And the whole story kind of dives in. There's a couple of quotes that I found really fascinating. Um, at one part, it says uh, that's because what research has found was that school often teaches you to comply with rules. So valedictorians yes. uh, often go on to be the people who support the system. They become a part of the system. They don't change the system or overthrow the system. And so what we see is that the average GPA, uh, the average college GPA of American millionaires is actually 2.9. And while valedictorians generally score high 
in the personality trait of conscientiousness, what you see among millionaires is that they're known for grit. And then later it goes on to say not just grit but like innovation. Yes. Pushback, they're the ones that are often challenging the rules, and that's what leads to um, their later success in life. And again, this is not a good and bad thing, right? right this right. is not like rule followers. Oh, you're going to be a failure. Don't be a valid Victorian, right? No, <laughs> right. We all these people are doing great in life. They are part of the system that's set up. They're conscientious, but it, this is more trying to explain what is it that makes the person who can be ultra successful, who starts things, who uh, and man, two point nine, and they're they're equating that to like they just don't like playing nice in a system. They don't like being in the sandbox that somebody else has made. Right, and it says they don't comply with rules that uh, that well, but they stick with goals over the long term. Yeah, like for them, it's not about like doing what I was told to do and achieving well, but it's about like this is what I'm trying to achieve. I'm going to get there by any means necessary. Nobody's going to stop me. It's this kind of grit. It's this kind of keep going, and it is really fascinating, especially for somebody like me to be honest with you i'm a rule follower hmm. i wasn't a val victorian <laughs> okay uh, i did better than 2.9 but um you know i am somebody i think who who does well with systems that are already set up okay here's the here's the kind of the parameters to work inside uh and, and these kind of people they describe who don't comply well with rules but they're just going after their goals and they'll kind of either run people over or challenge the system that right. makes me a little uncomfortable oh interesting and I'm the one who started a church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, one, one of these days we're going to commit a whole hour to learning your story because yes. I, think, I think your particular, like, makeup and the way that your brain works is so fascinating. Because I, I am by nature a, a rule breaker. Yep. Uh, and sometimes to a degree that's not helpful. Like, I can look back at my life now and think, man, this should have been a time that Ian should have followed the rules. Yep. That he, he should have bit his tongue. That he should have been more compliant. So sometimes I think it's easy to romanticize the rule breakers because, like, oh, they're the ones innovating. They're the ones that are starting stuff in their garages. And you're like, yeah, sometimes. But sometimes they're just jerks. Sometimes, like you were saying, sometimes they they leave a wake of damage behind yes. them yes. that is not admirable or Christ-like. So it, I do have to admit, you know, because it feels like a lot of our a lot of our media, a lot of our movies sort of celebrate the rule breaker. Like, yep, ah, the, rebel. You, the rebel, right. There's, they're not, they're not going to submit to the system. I'm like, sometimes the system's really helpful though sometimes we're railing against stuff that we haven't even given like ample consideration to its function like oh maybe maybe the system actually is helpful in this regard yep. and so like as a um as someone who's maybe more inclined to break rules it is a really humbling thing to realize like sometimes my breaking the rules had more to do with my ego than anything and didn't actually like help anybody else whereas me as a as a rule follower uh sometimes to a fault i think that really stems out of fear Oh, interesting. It is a well. It's a, it's a draw to the status quo. Hmm. Well, this has always worked. Now, if we kind of buck the system a little bit, it might go better, but it might go a lot worse. Got and it. So, why would we take that risk? Huh. Why not? I think I think that is. You said you wanted to get into my brain, which is a dangerous yeah. place to be. <laughs> I I think that's where it stems from. It's a well. You know, this is working well enough. Well enough. Somebody, oh, see? Else, somebody else has said, like, Ugh. this is working well enough. And this is what I think is going to be fun for you and I doing this show yep. over the hopefully years, if not months, maybe weeks, uh, <laughs> is is I think you and I tend to like, no, no, this is kind of the way we've done it. This yep. is what works. And you're going to be like, forget that. Let's right. do this. Let's, totally. I think there's going to be a good give and take because it's interesting. This article ends this way. So a certain amount of not playing by the rules is advantageous once you get out of a closed system like education. Interesting. And uh, I do. It's going to be interesting because – uh, in some ways, you work in a church that's under a bigger thing that, that is you've got to play in some other people's sandboxes. Yeah, and that's right. I started a church, which 
in theory, I should be able to like make my own rules and this right. and that. But in reality, we're probably <laughs> – you should take my church. I should take yours. No, no, no. I'm saying. I can see why you would say that at the surface, but like those parameters in most cases have actually been really helpful for me. I like imagine. I like playing on a team. I really love collaboration more than I thought that but I would, to be honest. you want to push the team. You want to I push do want to push the team. I remember years ago actually when I was a youth pastor – there was a woman in our church named Janet Nupp who she worked with these like high level corporate clients. She okay. worked with like Kraft and Solo Cup and she offered to like train our leadership team, our student leadership team. Little did I know her advice was worth its weight in gold. Like she's absolutely brilliant. Right. But one of the things that she was kind of trying to pick apart and decipher the different wiring of the team, she started with me as as the youth pastor and she said, just just based on her scores, she didn't really know me all that well. And she said, um, my guess is that Ian doesn't love it when you guys say, ah, it's good enough. And the whole team just went, yes! <laughs> He's always saying that. Like, even hearing you say it right now, like, yep. ah, that's good enough. Yep. To, to a fault, that kind of language is really, I really struggle with yep. it. I'm like, good enough is not good enough. And I I don't know what that is. Sometimes sometimes that can be used as a vehicle to push people yep. to, to, to excellence. Other times, though... That that kind of wiring can be really exhausting for people. Yeah. Like, man, sometimes good enough actually is good enough, Ian. Yeah. Calm down, right? So sometimes the rule breakers can be really tiring to the function of a team because yep. they can miss the forest for the trees. And I like I wonder in, in your brain, like are you the kind of guy that gets the same breakfast no matter where you're at in the world? Like you order the same thing? Are you a are you uh, consistent in that regard? Not not to that level, but okay. I I go to Starbucks on a regular basis, and I will look at the menu and go, I should get that, I should get that. And then I get to there, and I always get an <laughs> unsweetened black iced tea with a lemon in it or a lemonade iced tea. And But you do have the dialogue, though. You're like, I should try yeah, that. Yeah, well, I'll like, bet you that. Like, <laughs> you know, adults would get that drink right there. So, you know, I, I totally get what you're saying about uh, if not never being good enough. The flip side of it is when things are always good enough, like the status quo is good enough, is you mm. become the ceiling to the organization, mm. right? Like. No, guys, we're fine. We're good right here. And the, and the the risk takers in your organization are going like, no, I want to keep pushing. Let's keep going. And so for me, it's been an exercise. My leadership has been an exercise of needing to hear from those people. That's Knowing good. that I'm probably not going to be the one that's going to drive the risk oh, right. is me trying to engage those that can drive the risk and like needing to let go a little bit. Like, All right. Let's let's go for That's it. That's smart, man. I really appreciate that. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about a quote that I ran across years ago that continues to remain timeless. It seems to always hit us exactly where we're at. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Friends, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess, the tense, the gray, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, doesn't tie up with a nice little bow. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com, plus all the previous shows are podcasted, so we'd love to interact with you there as well. 
And uh, we're often saying things like, you know, in a world of confirmation biases and echo chambers, how do we, how do we lean in? How, how do we have a conversation? Like right. it seems more and more um, people, particularly on Facebook and Twitter, just just shouting back and forth. And I, I sometimes wonder, like, what do we what's the hope there? <laughs> like, yeah. as you know, not not the stuff that's like good dialogue, but the stuff that just seems like insult for insult's sake or really highly reductionistic. And that's kind of been our hope is to, you know, create a space for dialogue, for, for, for conversation. And there's this this quote uh, that for the last five or six years I've really, really loved. And I've shared it a number of times in the last five or six years. Yep. And I'm amazed that every single time I share it, one, it sort of blows up. And two, everyone always says, oh, man, this is so timely. Oh, this this quote, especially for right now, especially for what we're going through. And I think, isn't that fascinating that over five or six years yeah. we keep having that that same sentiment about this particular quote? Oh, man. So timely. Oh, that'll, that'll preach. So maybe you're wondering, okay, tell us what this quote is. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> stop talking about the quote. Give us the quote. It's by, uh, it's by Madeline Langle, and uh, I'm going to read it slow. She said, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. And that's, I mean, that's like, that's just theology and poetry, yeah. you know, woven so beautifully. But I'm really curious, why, why does that resonate so completely? Like, I even look at, you know, anecdotally, the people that are sharing it, like people politically right and left, mm-hmm. people theologically conservative and progressive. There's something about that sentiment that so resonates with people uh, in a pretty timeless way. And I'm really, I'm really curious why you think that is. Yeah, I think it's for a lot of reasons. One being that we live in a world where everyone is just yelling at each other all the time. Yeah. People want something different. They don't want the cable news, uh, Twitter, Facebook, just fighting all the time. It's ne- it's never about uh, that I love you. It's that I'm right. I'm more right than you. And so we yell. And so we don't want, on a very base level, more of that in our life, I mm. think. At least mm. I don't. But also I think you know we, we talk about Jesus and we talk about the gospel being good news. And so I don't think it could be good news just to be about what we are think is wrong. Uh, there's got to be more to it than that. Mm. There, there's got to be, if we're right, that if the Bible is right that this world is, to use its metaphor, darkness, mm. th- then what is the light of Jesus? And the light of Jesus is more than just a club to tell you you're wrong. Yeah. It, sure there's got to so. be some good news there. And that's yeah. what I think people are drawn to ultimately when it comes to when people convert from not believing Jesus to believing in Jesus, I think it's because they've gotten a glimpse of why that's hopeful and why that's good news more yeah. than just kind of this, oh, okay, I've been wrong and now you're right. Thank for, thank you for helping me see the errors of my ways. Right. Well, and I think you touched on it too. We can be right in the wrong ways, yes. right? Like you can still, your conclusion can still be quote unquote right and you can go about it. Your methodology can still be so toxic that I think its effects, I think it was Andy Stanley said, never, never make a point at the expense of making a difference. Mm. So often I think making the point is elevated to the highest degree that it's sort of like a, at all costs, I'm going to make this point. And I, I was going to kind of summarize it, but I'm just going to read it because this, uh, this post in Christianity Today uses this quote, but there's a, a paragraph before it that is, is so beautifully written. If, you, if you'd let me, I just want to read it because it. I think it's, it's so convicting and so encouraging says, Jesus' multitudes would have been countercultural and yet for the culture, not against it. They would have been known as those who, as theologian N.T. Wright has said, surprised the whole world 
by coming forward from the future into the present. They, they would do this by proclamation and demonstration, words of grace and truth coupled with life-giving deeds. That's such a good distinction. They, they would gain power, not as a religious majority, but as a life-giving minority. They would lead the world in acts of love and justice. They would be the best bosses, the best employees, the best neighbors, and the best friends. They would also be the best enemies, returning insults with kindness and persecution with prayers. They would stay true to their biblical convictions and would also love, listen to, and serve those who don't have their That's convictions. So I just want to like frame that yes. and put it on every wall in my house. I just find that so compelling. It's so good. And oftentimes we will polarize. We will. It's either your biblical convictions or yes. your loving. And Jesus wasn't that. And nor was the church ever called that. And the easier thing to fall back on is your biblical convictions because being loving is really hard. Right. Being right. loving is difficult. But I think that is what Madeline Lengel is talking about when she says something so lovely that people will be drawn to it. Like we would all respect people who hold to their convictions, but at the same time love me and care for me and show me grace and show me love, even though I don't believe in their convictions. Yeah, right. And that is what makes it so beautiful. I love what Tim Keller said from Redeemer Presbyterian, and Keller's written a ton of stuff. He says that the city of God is in our midst when citizens of the heavenly city become the very best citizens of the earthly one. And that C.S. Lewis said that if we read history, we find that those who did the most good for the present world were the ones who thought the most of the next, that to be heavenly Mm. minded is to be more earthly good, Mm. not less. I think these theologians are getting it. Like, that's gospel. Uh, And and I think what a lot of us struggle with is that the church in general, and we're a part of it, that the church uh, isn't doing this well in our culture right now, uh, macro, on a macro scale. Yeah, well, I think that's probably why it resonates, right? It's why even— you know, in my own little window of the world here, people right and left, conservative and progressive, are all saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." We, oh man, we we need more of that. I think it was, I think it was Joseph Ratzinger before he became pope. He said this. He said, "Love without truth is blind, but truth without love is empty." And that, I mean, that is a as a jam packed statement. That so often I'll I'll see people, and I mean, I'm inclined to do this myself. I'll turn this on myself. Like, if I'm right, it doesn't matter how how I go about it. I'm right. Yeah, truth wins, right? And I think, man, Jesus seems so much more nuanced than that. And this idea that with like puffed chest, we just say, well, I'm right. I'm, I'm loudly, aggressively right. And I think, man, okay, you may actually be right. I'm not even disputing that necessarily. Is there a way for us to have some self-reflection to say, am I being right in the wrong way? Like, right. am I, and what I'm saying and what I'm declaring, what I'm proclaiming, um, am I, am I doing it still with the aroma of Jesus? Like yeah. that is, that to me is a, a next level conviction, though, that is way more complex than just the black and white. This side's right, this side's wrong. So the right side is given license to behave however they want yeah. because they have the truth. I think sometimes people look at Christians that way and think, "Man, yeah, you guys might be right, but you're real jerks about it." Yes. You know this this quote about being the light, being a light so vibrant, so lovely that even people who maybe have no interest in religiosity they see it and they're like, "Oh, okay." I don't know. I don't know what that's all about, but I want to know more. Yep, and I think. It can be overwhelming to talk about light into darkness and it's like, how am I supposed to do this? Well, you just do it in your own context, in your own world. That's good. How can you be a light in your neighborhood? Yeah. How can you be a light in your family, in your workplace? Uh, and then as the body of Christ, as Christians are all doing that, all of a sudden we realize there's this huge light that is different and is shining the good news of the gospel. Totally, man. Well, I, I, I am both challenged, encouraged, and convicted by this particular yes. quote, and it's something that I want to take 
uh, I want to take stock of my own heart and ask, okay, in what ways am I being a light? In what ways maybe am I being right but in the wrong ways? Yes. I think that is something that I want to always kind of keep at the forefront. Well, coming up next, we have a fascinating interview with Rory Tyre, who's a creative entrepreneur with Go Innovation. He's going to talk a little bit about leadership and development and some of the ways that we've gotten it right, but definitely some of the ways that we've gotten it wrong as well. And that's coming up next on The Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess and the gray and the tense, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, sometimes no answers at all, because that's honestly where reality is for most of us. And we'd love to interact with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And I'm really excited because we have a special guest right now. His name is Rory Tyre. He's, listen to this list, Brian. He's a creative entrepreneur with experience in copywriting and editing, videography and video editing, music production and marketing campaign development and management for print and web. I do all those things. It makes it sound like I'm not doing anything with my life right now. He's facilitated Uh, custom leadership development solutions in several countries for groups of various sizes. You can learn more at go-innovation.com. You can find him on Twitter at Rory Tyre. That's R-O-R-Y-T-Y-E-R. Rory, welcome to the show, my man. Man, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Man, my, my pleasure. So that list of things, I'm excited about most everything on that list. It's amazing to me. Would you just talk a little bit more about what you do and why you're passionate about it? Yeah, man. So I, I'm really thankful for people that have invested in me and trusted me probably honestly beyond what I deserve <laughs> right, right. Uh, to help me have some of these opportunities. So I um, I wear two hats and the second hat is the one that uh, I want to talk about more, but I have to I- explain the first. Uh, so I um, work with a international non faith-based nonprofit called Global Outreach International. Hmm. And um, it's a, basically a missionary support and care organization. I oversee all of our marketing efforts. And so that includes web, donor relations, uh, creative media, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, As part of running this nonprofit, the CEO and I and some others co-founded a company called Go Innovation. Mm. And um, this is a leadership and human development company. Uh, We help, we empower individuals and teams and organizations to achieve and maintain superior results through um, research-based human development solutions. And so... In that capacity, I do a lot of like facilitation, training, coaching, uh, and sort of custom leadership and business consulting. Wow. And so that's the one where I've been able to have the privilege to work with organizations like World Vision, uh, Coca-Cola, wow. Catholic Relief Services. Uh, right now, I'm working with Toyota to help them actually with a podcast no and kidding. some other things. So, yeah. So I just, I love basically helping groups of people grow into better versions of themselves mm. in whatever that looks like. That's amazing. So, Roy, when it comes to leadership development, uh, many books been written on it, right? Lots of stuff. What are the areas of leadership development that you're most excited about right now and spending the most time with these organizations with? That's a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting. When we do trainings, everybody has a mental model of what leadership is. Mm-hmm. And everyone also has, most people have had experience with some kind of leadership development, especially in corporate settings. And often that experience is not great <laughs> and you know, or it's just uninspiring. Like there's a big binder and some PowerPoint and you're right, basically right. just being told some anecdotes. And so we, um, our approach is really different. We, we apply a lot of adult learning research into how we work, like uh, organize experiences so that people can get the most out of it. We treat these like custom engagements. And so we don't come in with a set curriculum. We work with people to say, what are your needs? What are your goals and opportunities? Mm-hmm. And how can we apply research? 
to get you from here toward that better future. And so um, lately, I happen to have been thinking a lot about um, there's a couple different things. I mean, uh, but emotional intelligence. I just had the chance to speak to some Mississippi State students a few weeks ago about the importance of EQ. Um, these are freshmen, so it's things that I wish I had heard as a college yeah, freshman yeah, no about kidding. EQ. No like it would have changed. Let's just all take a moment and imagine how decisions we may have made differently in college if, as freshmen, someone explained EQ to us. Yeah, yeah, no uh, kidding. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, that's one thing. I just moment of silence. Okay, and so uh, that's one thing. And then uh, feedback in particular is something I've also been thinking about because it's been something I've had to learn to listen to and to seek out in my own life. And it's really changed my life. Wow. Okay. So, so Ray, uh, Brian and I are both pastors and we both care about kind of the multifaceted role of a pastor, which includes, you know, leadership and vision, but also a lot of care stuff. And I, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit more about why this component of feedback has been mm-hmm. so transformative for you? I'm really fascinated by that idea. Yeah. So as you know, there have been a number of higher profile um, scandals or moral failures within the church, especially recently. Um, and in almost all of those cases, I do think having uh, low feedback is at least part of why those things happen. And this is what I mean. So um, the research suggests that the higher you get in an organization, so to speak, so once you get up into the C-suite or you are the CEO, right. and if you have a church, basically, if you're the senior pastor, depending on the governance structure, the higher you go in an organization, the harder it actually becomes to get the feedback that's required for you to make uh, good decisions. Mm. And so you have to go out of your way to seek it out. Um, But that requires a lot of humility, intentionality, and time. Right. And it also requires you to surround yourself with people that don't, or at least to regularly seek out the informed input from people that don't think just like you. And unfortunately, Mm. um, especially I see this all the time in ministries and in churches, unfortunately, those things become precious to leaders as platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it becomes about their brand. And so there's this almost element of like Old Testament prophetic critique that as you grow. So on the one hand, human institutions and an organization is a great way of channeling creative power and helping it to have longevity and multiplied impact. Right. The problem is a lot of times those institutions can calcify around a limited perspective if you don't open yourself up to that prophetic critique from within and feedback is the is a great mechanism to make sure that that prophetic critique is always there so mm. let me if i can let me just tell a quick story yeah um uh, I, I spent a gap year between undergrad and grad school in a rural north carolina town doing this it was like this discipleship program i lived with there were eight young adults and uh, two house parents and they had two very young children we all lived in the same house mm. and so the joke was that it was christian real world <laughs> it wasn't that's good it uh it wasn't, but it was sort of like a holistic, like you're going to get a part-time job, you're going to help the ministry, you're going to get deeply invested in the church, you're going to have small group stuff, you're going to have individual projects, and you're going to be mentored, and it was awesome. Um, and a, a couple, two or three months after we started, I went out to lunch with my mentor who led these weekly small group Bible studies, and he said, Roy, I need to have a conversation with you about something. I said, yeah, man. He said, um, you, and at this point, you know, I graduated with my undergrad in philosophy and religion, so I had more formal biblical education than the others in that mm. cohort. Okay. Um, and he said, he said, look, Rory, I, I realize you've, you've spent a lot of time studying a lot of this stuff, but, um, I don't know if you know this, but the way that you participate in these conversations is, uh, you, you speak first, you speak loudest and you state your opinions as if they're facts. And the result is that it's shutting down input from everybody around you. 
And, you know, I, I know that you don't want to do that. I don't think that's who you want to be, but they, they have just a, as much a right as you to share their opinions. And so what can we do differently? Wow. And so that, to me, that's the first time that we, we talk about holding up a kind mirror. So Matt was kind, wow. but he was also extremely firm and specific. And later in reflecting on the feedback model that I teach now as part of the leadership work I do, he gave me impact focused feedback. So he was clear, I can't necessarily know your intent, Mm. But here's how your feedback is impacting me as the leader of this group and how I perceive that it's impacting others. So that impact is real, whether or not that's what you intend, but I don't think it's an impact you want to intend. So how can we rectify your behavior? Wow. And that changed my life. That was the first time that somebody so clearly and directly held up a mirror to me. And I've never forgotten that conversation. That's so good, man. So if you're leading an organization and you're like, yeah, you know, he used that word calcified and that's kind of where we're at and there's not much of a feedback culture. What's one or two steps, uh, kind of a first step somebody could implement, a leader could implement that will kind of grow uh, the beginnings of a feedback culture? Mm, that's a great question. So, I mean, here I'll just plug our organization, Go Please Innovation. Do. We, yes. um, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that we can do is come in and say, hey, we need a 360 degree assessment. Mm. And so a 360-degree assessment, say you've got your, your team of, of presidents and vice presidents and the CEO or whatever, you would fill out kind of the same survey. You'd fill it out about yourself. You'd fill it out about your boss. You'd fill it out about peers. And you'd fill it out around people that report to you, or they would fill it out about you. And so it creates what we call noise. So like all of a sudden, people have a lot of things to fill out. But if you do that well, and you have made it possible for it to be anonymous, truly, you can have this amazing mirror held up. And then what we would do with those results is basically coach teams through um, turning those results into some kind of a customized longitudinal development plan. So we mm. might say, okay, it looks like the CEO needs coaching mm. and that coaching needs to focus on several of these themes. It looks like the, the C-suite team is like at odds with the CEO. And right. so we're going to need to do some like group work. Maybe we take them on a two or three day retreat. And we, as facilitators, help cultivate an atmosphere of candor, and then we turn that learning into action steps that can like, really be taken forward. And the goal on our end is that we want people to multiply their own healthy internal leadership culture. We don't want to necessarily be needed at the table, mm, right? Uh, because we believe when that happens, when people truly can multiply their own leadership capacity, um, it, they'll just get healthier because people are, we're not the experts, right. you know, like you with your church, you're the expert, so quote unquote, on your church. Now, an outside perspective may be really helpful, which mm -hmm. we can provide. But at the end of the day, I don't want to become an expert in your church. I want you to remain the expert um, with just better wisdom and knowledge to help you make more informed decisions. So that's, that's one right. answer is kind of getting the data through an yep. assessment and then turning that data into some kind of a plan so the data doesn't just sit there and nothing happens with it. That's, That's so good. Roy, man, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing in the world. If you're a part of a team or lead a team of any size, I honestly cannot encourage you enough. Go to go-innovation.com. Have a conversation with Roy and his team. I think the work that you're doing is so needed and so necessary and so timely. So thanks for giving up your time for us, and thanks just for the work that you do in the world, man. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you, guys, man. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Now, coming up next, we're going to talk about Lent from the perspective of a local Anglican pastor. You're not going to miss it. That's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hi, hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess, the gray, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, but also the common stuff, the, the stuff that we have shared. I think 
I don't know, it just seems like the world is more and more divided. We want to create space to dialogue about the stuff that we have in common. So we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on uh, Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com. And uh, I'm absolutely thrilled about our next guest. It is Pastor Aaron Damiani. Pastor, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. My pleasure. You, uh, so Pastor Damiani is the pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago and the author of The Good of Giving Up, Discovering the Freedom of Lent. Aaron is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton Graduate School and writes and speaks on preaching, church planning, and spiritual formation. He and his wife, Laura, live in Chicago with their four kids. You can connect with Aaron at lentbook.com or find him on Twitter at Aaron Damiani. That's D-A-M. I-A-N-I. And so my, my first question out the gate, I got to ask it before we get into any of the Lent stuff. You you went to Moody and Wheaton. How did you end up an Anglican? <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a common question. It all began with an argument uh, with my then fiance Laura, hmm. uh, over Panera Bread lunch. And we were trying to figure out where we were going to, get, going to go to church. And I was coming at it from the perspective of, hey, church should be about the holiness and transcendence of God. Hmm. And Laura was coming at it from the perspective of church should all about, about be the nearness and the love of God. Mm. And we were at loggerheads um, having one of our first real arguments um, really? as an engaged couple about church. And and then we, you know, we started looking for churches and her, her sister uh, recommended a church, a great, great church uh, called Church of the Resurrection yeah. in Wheaton. And we, we visited on a whim and we're just kind of blown away that there was both, you know, God's nearness and God's otherness. And hmm. incidentally, everyone was getting ready to practice Lent. It was um, the the Sunday right before Lent when we visited for the first time. And so it was kind of an interesting experiment seeing our new church community participating uh, in this journey to Easter while I was on a journey to getting ready for my honeymoon and wedding. And hmm. um, the comparison and comparison you know, the contrast of that was, was pretty stark. Mm. So your new book is about Lent, as we said. It's called yeah. The Good of Giving Up. Uh, Ian and I both raised uh, Evangelical. Uh, mm-hmm. I think both of us were Christian Missionary Alliance, if That's I remember right. right. Uh, and uh, cards on the table, I was always taught in growing up that Lent was a Catholic thing. Mm. So yeah. uh, talk to the Evangelicals out there, the Protestants out there, as to why that's wrong and also yeah. uh, what the benefit is of embracing uh, Lent this season. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question, a fair question. Um, you know, and a lot of Roman Catholics do happen to practice Lent, but sure. it didn't originate there. Mm. Um, we really see the, you know, really it's, it's a season of preparation for Easter, which Christians did after Jesus' ascension. I mean, they wanted to stay close to their Savior. Mm. And what they found, you know, kind of in all regions of the church in those early days, especially with Roman persecution, was they could stay close to Jesus, um, taking on some of these classic disciplines of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, and looking at it less like a works righteousness, trying to earn God's favor, and and more like a gentle harness Mm -hmm. that tied them to the presence of Christ, Mm -hmm. and where they could take hold on the character of Christ. And that really was where, you know, these disciplines came from. It wasn't about fulfilling some old tradition. It was more yeah. about uh, taking on uh, taking on the, the presence and the character of Jesus, and especially, it just fits so well with Easter. I mean, by the time you get to Easter, you've seen Jesus put some of your sin and addictions to death, and you've got more space in your soul, 
and and your body and in your church to really lean into the celebration of his uh, his resurrection. That's really good. Okay, so I, I'm curious then because I, I Brian and I both had interesting upbringings, uh, particularly in evangelical circles. But most of my mm-hmm. mom's side of the family are charismatic Roman Catholics, and um, mm-hmm. so I grew up exposed to Lent and and into adulthood really had an appreciation for Lent. When a lot of my my Protestant uh, friends were like really opposed to it, it was very it was just strange to me. I'm curious why. Um, why this book? What what kind of your hope and dream for the book is, and then maybe maybe some practical ideas for someone who's grown up stiff arming Lent a little bit uh, a little bit. Um, give us some like baby steps for, for ways to kind of dip a toe in the waters to practice Lent, maybe, maybe as early as this year. Yeah, well, I I mean I I think about this as someone who started out stiff arming Lent, <laughs> um, and 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 just kind of looked around at people practicing it in this new church and being like, what did I get myself into? Mm you know, what, what's the purpose of all of this? Right. Having to discover that sort of as an adult who didn't practice it growing up, but went to a great Bible teaching gospel celebrating church. And so I had to grapple with that Mm. and I had to dip my toe in the water. I think my first Lent was sort of, you know, there are some weeks off things of, you know, giving up chocolate or something like that, or, um, you know, some, some early, um, sort of experiments in praying in the morning and in the evening, mm. nothing, uh, nothing over the top, but I did see how, um, even these small steps in the direction of putting sin to death and, and becoming a master of my appetite mm. really did allow me to engage in spiritual battle against sin and against the grip of the grip of sin and death in my own life and habits and how, uh, Easter. When Easter came around, there was more capacity uh, for joy, and so I'd say if anyone's is stiff farming it, it's okay. It's okay to distrust it, and mm. and I would point them more in the direction of uh, Jesus and yeah. and His resurrection power, and maybe even just like one meal a week, you know, like skipping lunch and mm. taking the money you'd otherwise spend getting lunch out, and you know, giving it, sponsoring a child with it, or uh, giving to a local. A prison ministry, and just see what the Lord does with that, and um, and then go from there. Uh, I'm curious. You said you have four children. Uh, what is Lent now that you know you've kind of, you've embraced Lent in uh, the, the church that you pastor? What has it done for your kids? Uh, how do you do? Yeah. How do you do the Lenten season with your children? Uh, and what are the what is the fruit that you've seen from mm-hmm. that? Well, it's different every year, you know, as our kids grow and, and mature. There's some things that we do together as a family. You know, our, our, our Saturday tradition normally is, you know, chocolate chip pancakes in the morning. And, yes, um, mine and, too. Uh, we, yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a great Saturday morning fun thing. Um, and so it's kind of like whether they like it or not, we, we don't do that during Lent. Um, and, you know, our meals are simpler and we we have an opportunity to – to um, have a, a little bit more of a spiritual focus around the dinner table. Hmm. I think like a once a week dinner table practice is sustainable for them. Um, and then as our kids are, some of our, you know, our older two are more in the, more in that capacity of they've got more agency and freedom where we can say, um, you know, during and in advance of Lent, Hey, what, what's the Lord's call for you in Lent? What, what would you, is there something that you, would like to surrender to Jesus for the next six weeks. Wow. I think that's brilliant. Easter. Mm-hmm. Well, in particular too, cause like you, you touched on it. It's a right now, it just feels like more than ever. Our culture is grasping. Like it's a culture of taking yeah. and yeah. right in your title, right? The, the good of giving up, it feels so counterintuitive and, and in many ways 
countercultural. It's a little bit of like a, like a mini rebellion. Like, hey, when everyone else around me is white knuckling, um, Jesus invites us to open our hands to, to give up. Yeah. Would you just, in like maybe a minute or less, just speak pastorally to this next Lenten season, um, kind of help frame people's minds, whether they're going to practice it fully or they're still interested or they're still stiff arming it. Would you just maybe, yeah, just speak pastorally to this next season and what Lent could be and maybe maybe should be in our lives leading up to Easter? You know, I think of that story of the rich young ruler when Jesus challenged him to yeah. to sell what he had and, and follow him. And there was that resistance, the the no inside the rich young ruler that he verbalized and, and, and didn't take Jesus up on it. Mm. And then, you know, not long after, you've got, um, you've got Zacchaeus and Jesus saying, hey, invite me over for dinner, and I want to be with you. And he said yes to that invitation. Yeah. So I think, I just think a good question is, what's Jesus' invitation to you, mm. and what's he, what's he asking of you? And just know that on the other end of that, uh, there's so much goodness and so much joy. And so, uh, you know releasing these tangible things that we mm. hold on to for dear life that we love too much. Uh, when we let Jesus create some distance between ourselves and these, um, you know, unholy attachments, he's got better things for us. Mm. And uh, because he's good and he's loving and he wants to fill our hands with, he's you know, going to empty them of false attachments and fill them with, um, Fill them with joy. Fill them with His Holy Spirit. That's so good. I, I mean, that preaches to me. Yes. <laughs> that means so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've, we've wow. been talking with Pastor Aaron Damiani. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago and recently authored the book, The Good of Giving Up, Discovering the Freedom of Lent. And you can learn more at LentBook.com. That's LentBook.com. Pastor, thank you so much for giving your time with thank us. Thank you. Oh, Brian Ian, great to talk with you guys. Really appreciate it. Well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane, as Brian always and often says. Bring it in. We're going to bring it in. That's a new one. <laughs> With just some uh, craziness that we found on the Internet, because as we often say, if it's on the Internet, it must be true. That's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about not only the messy and the tense and the gray, but also sometimes the crazy. The and that's what, we're, that's what we're going to do here. That sound can mean only one thing. But you can also find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, also 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted, so you can find wherever you find your podcast. But if you've been listening for any length of time, you know that we like to wrap the show up with just some lighthearted insanity. Sometimes it's not all that lighthearted. Sometimes it's actually a, a little dark. A little Either dark. way, it's just a kind of rapid-fire stories that we saw on the internet and... Uh, because it's on the internet, we know it must be true. Always true. Always true. So, Brian, why don't you kick us off? From Indiana. All right. Strong winds knocked down New Palestine tornado siren. Sure. A siren meant to be a warning for severe weather came crashing down over the weekend after strong winds rolled through central Indiana. New uh. Palestine town manager David Book said the siren itself was more than 60 years old, but had been in that location for roughly 25 years. Over time, parts of the pole began to get weaker and weaker. But that's what we call irony. I think that's what we call irony. Sometimes I struggle with irony. But that's, is that irony? That's what we call a sermon illustration. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using that ASAP. <laughs> All right. This one's out of Minnesota. Uh, police called to check on cardboard cutout. Why, might you ask? I'm going to tell you. Police officers in Jordan, Minnesota, were called to check on the welfare of a man standing motionless outside in the cold, wearing no coat and hugging a pillow. Oh. When officers arrived, though, they found the, quote, man was actually a cardboard cutout of my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell. 
<laughs> so the cutout is actually of a man holding a pillow. And, uh, I mean, to the good people of Jordan, Minnesota, they were they were concerned that this was someone out in the cold called the police. And it uh, turns out it was just a really realistic cardboard cutout. Absolutely. New Jersey, my home state. Jersey City teens are accused of stealing passwords to change grades. School officials in Jersey City say four high school students have been charged with trying to change recorded grades. They allegedly used keystroke logging software to break into the school's computer system. The software tracks which keys are struck on a keyboard and can be used to steal passwords. Up to 10 students' grades were altered, uh, but they were caught no uh, no news yet on what their punishment's going to be. I feel like I would tell them, good job. Oh, gosh. Isn't that out of a movie, though? Yeah. I didn't know that was like actually a thing that Keystroke you could do. Keystroke software. Okay. That's impressive. All right, New York. Man faked own kidnapping to avoid paying Super Bowl payouts, police say. State police say uh, a Western New York man faked his own abduction and robbery because he was short of cash owed in a Super Bowl pool. Troopers found 60-year-old Robert Brandell. 60 years old? Come on, man. Of the North Tonawanda tied up in his pickup truck Monday in a parking lot in Newfane, 30 miles north of Buffalo. Randell told troopers two men involved in a Super Bowl square robbed him of $16,000, drove him around for two days, and left him tied up in his pickup. Investigators, two days. Two days, I know. Investigators determined Brandell had uh, entered some fake names in his $50,000 squares pool, hoping to make the most of the winnings, but instead ended up short for the payout. So... I don't know what it is right now. This trend of faking attacks and kidnappings and abductions is I, – I, this seems worse than I can remember. Crazy. Speaking of trends out of Canada, did you hear that tiny ear tattoos are now a big trend? Listen up. This could be the final uh, front ear. Oh, gosh. In tattoo trends, no. it says. I didn't do that myself. That came from the article. I can still groan. Uh, celebrities have begun to model ink on their ears over the fat past few years, but now it's going mainstream. Ear tattoos are exploding right now. Very trendy, said this tattoo artist. And so uh, here's my question. Would you go with an ear tattoo? I'm not opposed to it. I don't, I mean, that, okay, just personally, that seems like a painful place to get it a tattoo. Does. I'm not opposed to tattoos, but having something there. Seems unnecessarily painful. It just seems like it'd be hard to tell what it is. It'd be so small. <laughs> That's true. It would like invite ear. people to get really close to yes. the ears. I don't know that I want to invite that kind of attention. All right, here's another one out of Minnesota. And having just talked about money yesterday, uh, <laughs> this one hits particularly close to home, pun intended. Woman upset with St. Paul ATM wax machine with golf club. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apparently there's a number of different reports of people who watched it happen. She couldn't get her money out of the ATM. And so she took a golf club and just went berserk on this machine. It's awesome. It's <laughs> I mean, not awesome. Not awesome. You might be a felon, man. The things, <laughs> the things that you celebrate on the show. Well, we just talked earlier in the show that I don't have the guts to do these things, but I live vicariously through others. You cheer them on like, oh, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's destroying Way that ATM. Way to do it, lady. Way to do it. <laughs> I do have to say, though, I'm grateful that the article says ATM and not ATM machine. Because oh. that's one of my bet peeves, right? Automatic teller machine. It's not an ATM machine. Okay. It's an ATM. Huh. Well done, Minnesota. Okay. Uh, this one is one I never expected to hear. World's number one bridge player is banned for doping. <laughs> what? So apparently Why? Why would the boy? world's number one, ba- uh, number one bridge player was banned for failing a drug test. He was handed a one-year ban, this Norwegian guy, for testing positive for synthetic testosterone and a female fertility drug at a competition last year 
which is much it's performance enhancing and i don't know why For what performance I, bridge man i mean bridge, you got to stay on your game <laughs> we're i mean we're showing uh, our ignorance here i have no idea how that would actually help your performance in that game or how bridge is even played i yeah honestly Somebody could be playing bridge right in front of us right now, and I would have no idea what it actually <laughs> like is. I am playing bridge right now. Right, like cool. Thanks for thanks for the low hanging fruit. All right, this one's out of California. It's actually much less funny and more interesting. Nearly two thirds of millennials say they regret purchasing a home. Overall, the survey found that around forty four percent of U.S. homeowners regret purchasing a home, and millennials uh, are among the highest of regret. Having just purchased my first home last year. I'm wondering if there's something that I'm I'm missing here. In fact, I don't know if you've uh, have you seen the, the it's a series of shorts called Adam Ruins Everything. Have you seen no, this? No. I think it has it's out of college humor, but he did one on buying a home that I saw like the day after I signed my papers and was talking about how buying a home is so not funny. a good idea. Now, obviously, it's like a 60 second video that you know. Do you want to know when it's a good idea? When? When you call Dan Frio. Oh, uh, call Dan Frio. Dan Frio. If you need help. Getting a better mortgage or buying a home. <laughs> Dan call Frio's Dan Frio, 1160hope.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, 1160mortgage.com. That's right. That's We're right. 1160hope.com. <laughs> Just t- take it away from me. Your turn, Brian. Oregon. I'm calling. This might be one we find out later isn't true, but I'm going with it because it's on the internet. A man and his dog survived being trapped in their vehicle in deep snow for five days. Oh, my word. So they're trapped. They survived for five days. Do you want to know how this guy, Jeremy Taylor, age 36, and his dog, Allie, were stranded in his Toyota 4Runner when it became stuck in heavy snow. Do you want to know what he said they survived on? <laughs> Eating packets of Taco Bell taco sauce. Gross. No, thank you. No, that's all thank you have to you. survive. <laughs> oh, man. You're good to go. Did it mention if it was, like, hot or mild or fire? Does that matter at that point? It's got to be mild, right? <laughs> Does it? got to be mild. <laughs> I feel like these stories just get weaker and weaker as we go on. How about a happy one? I wish you could see the photo of this one. Because it's a photo of a sea otter and just a couple of adorable cupcakes in front of it. And uh, <laughs> it says, sea otter 22 is the oldest known in the world. Yeah. Did you know that sea otters could even live to 22? I did not. This is some real, like, groundbreaking, hard-hitting news in here fact, on The Common Good right I now. I had but... no opinion about the length to which sea otters could live. Well, you need to get your life together, man. <laughs> <laughs> sea otters are the pathway to joy. You, right. need, you need to have an opinion. My last one right. is just this. I will just read the headline. 1,500 live turtles found duct tape in airport luggage. Oh, boy. And if you could see, Google this one, because they <laughs> no, are just you. exactly what it sounds like. Turtles duct taped and stuck in luggage. Wow. What a, what a note to end on, Brian. There you go. <laughs> Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. Thanks so much for joining Brian and I here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.